Good morning. My wife, Amy, uh, who is a chronic optimist, uh, will tell you that I am more of a pessimist. I am sure she's wrong about that. But um, I view myself uh, as more of a realist. Any other self-proclaimed realists uh, out there? Yes? Um, One of the things of which my realistic uh, view of life has convinced me is that when something seems too good to be true, it is. Uh, It is. Um, Most of the time when I've let my guard down about that, you know, I thought, well, gosh, I mean, I gotta, I gotta at least try, you know, I gotta see what it is. It was, in fact, too good to be true. Uh, I uh, think about a time that Amy and I uh, got an offer that if we would just come and listen to a 90-minute presentation about a vacation timeshare, that we would get two uh, free airline tickets to anywhere in the uh, contiguous United States with no purchase necessary. Well, at least one of the two of us thought that that was something we should go and and check out. And uh, I walked in with my arms folded. I did not have a checkbook with me. It was 20 years ago. I still had a checkbook. Uh, we were there for the airline tickets, and I, I stonewalled their pleas for purchase. I mean, it was, I, it was strength, deft, cunning. Uh, there was no getting through. The presentation finally ended, and I asked for the vouchers. And instead, we got a phone number that we needed to call uh, about that. So we called the number, and they said, oh, well, we need to send you a form to fill out. Why can you just give me the form at the presentation? Okay. So they're not going to beat us. Send us the form. So we filled out the form. We sent it back. Then we got a call. Oh, actually, we're not the ones who do that anymore. You need to call this number. So we called that number, and, uh, and they said, oh, well, we have to fax you our form. Fax me? Like, I don't have a fax number. So after, um, uh, finally, after all that work and all who knows how many rounds, we threw up our hands. And... Uh, Said, forget it. Just, just like they knew we would all along, it was indeed too good to be true. It always, it always is. It always is. And so I, as a realist, think it is perfectly reasonable that for some people, when they hear about the grace and forgiveness of God, that they're pretty sure there's a catch. I and mean, there is a bait and switch coming, right? There's another shoe that's going to drop sounds too good to be true. Our readings today reiterate that the gospel invitation of Jesus Christ is actually even better than it sounds. And it is all the way, take it to the bank, stake your eternal life on it, true. So we're going to spend all of our time in the gospel of Mark. In fact, we're going to be spending the next three weeks In Mark chapter 1, we are in the season of epiphany. It's a season of revelation. We're revealing that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. That's what the word epiphany means. Revelation, sudden revelation. So Mark begins this passage by telling us that this encounter happens after John was arrested. Now, John the Baptist, as you know, was the voice of in the wilderness. He was preparing the way for the Messiah. And Mark is telling us that now with this phrase that the way has been prepared. Right? The spotlight is moving from John, the forerunner, now to the main attraction. 
And in fact, this is what I think Jesus means when he says the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John's ministry of preparation has ended and Jesus the king is on the scene. Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And Mark tells us what Jesus was saying in these earliest days of his ministry. The way that he was proclaiming the good news of God was by exhorting people, repent and believe the good news. Now, I don't know about you. The last time some, or I can't remember the last time someone told me to repent and it felt like good news. It actually feels like the least affirming thing that you can say to someone. And yet the very first thing that Mark tells us about after this description of Jesus' initial ministry is that people begin to follow Jesus, and not slowly, right? They, I mean, not after giving it some thought, weighing the pros and cons. You know, they hear the sound of his voice and epiphany, career change, right? It's, it, the trajectory com- changes completely. The disciples aren't the least bit put off by the call to repent and believe the good news. In fact, the call is magnetic. It's magnetic. It's like everything they've ever longed for but never knew they needed or wanted was suddenly standing in front of them with a beard and a tunic. Right? The entire trajectory of their lives changes immediately in this encounter with Jesus. Now, when an angry guy on the street corner with a bullhorn is yelling and telling you to repent, it's off-putting. <laughs> because it, it, it feels like what he's saying is, you were, you've been wrong and you better get right. right? There's finger-wagging uh, in it. It causes shame and a feeling of, of unworthiness. At least it does uh, for me. But Jesus' call to repent is exactly the opposite. See, Jesus is saying, I see where you are and what you're going through. I see what you're worried about, what you're afraid of, what you're ashamed of. I see where you are and I will get you through. I will be with you always. Jesus' call to repentance is a rescue mission from shame and unworthiness. It's a rescue mission from feeling alone and unseen and unloved. That's what Jesus is calling us to turn away from. Turn away from going it on your own. Turn away from playing the blame game. Turn away from despair or resignation. Turn away from insecurity or self-doubt or self-medication. And believe the good news. No matter who you are or what you've done or what's been done to you, God Almighty has loved you sought you out, forgiven your sins, made you his child, and now heaven awaits you. Does that sound too good to be true? Like There must be an asterisk. There must be some fine print. And what I want to say to you this morning is that the unexpectedly impulsive, immediate response of these first disciples to the call of Jesus is in fact Mark's joyful illustration of what it looks like to repent and believe the good news. 
And so the message that you probably would expect to hear is, then we'll be like Andrew and Peter. Right? Drop what you're doing and follow Jesus. And i got to tell you, if that's the message, then I might as well be up here with the bullhorn yelling at you to repent. I mean, maybe you should, but that's not the message. The realist would say, see, I told you so. I told you there was some fine print. And the optimist would say, oh, it's probably not that bad. But Andrew and Peter are not the ones who are in focus here. Right? I mean, Andrew and Peter are not looking at Andrew and Peter. James and John aren't focusing on James and John. They're all looking at Jesus. And that is what invites the transformation. And it looks like, I mean, Jesus shows up like totally out of the blue. Right? The disciples, Peter and Andrew and James and John, they're fishing just today just like they fished yesterday. And the day before that and the years before that. They're just doing what they've always done. They expect to do it tomorrow, right? No one's there going, you know, I've been doing this for so long. If only I could fish for people. <laughs> but Jesus shows up right in the midst of that. In the person of Jesus, God comes to them. God initiates. They never knew that's what they needed. They never had expected that that's what they were made for. But God speaks. God speaks. Isn't that amazing? That the same word of God that first spoke into the void of nothingness and with that word creation, spoke creation into being now is in human flesh walking around the Galilean shore. In Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He is the firstborn of all creation, the Alpha and the Omega, very God of very God, begotten, not made, and He speaks. I mean, have you ever thought about just how amazing that is? God doesn't need to communicate with humans. He could just throw lightning bolts if we step out of line. He could remain far off and untouched and unscathed by broken little old us. But throughout the pages of Scripture, God Almighty is eager for company and conversation. He speaks through a burning bush, through a stuttering shepherd who escaped from death row, through a donkey through angels and dreams and prophets, and now through His Word made flesh, God incarnate, Jesus Christ, God speaks. He makes the first move. He initiates relationship. God speaks. And then, maybe even more amazing, He invites. The God of the universe says, hey, come follow me. I've got a campfire. Right over here. There is not one hint of condemnation in the words of Jesus. Nor is there any sense in which Jesus is in it for himself, like gathering followers to prop up his reputation. He is simply inviting because his nature as God is relational. So God is speaking. He is inviting and maybe the most amazing thing is he's inviting these guys. 
I mean, to him, all hearts are open, all desires known, and from him no secrets are hid, right? So, I mean, he must know that these are not the religious pristine. They're not goody two sandals of their day. They're not Ivy Leaguers. They probably don't even have a high school degree. These are regular, hard-working, rough-and-tumble guys who talk like sailors and smell like weeks of sweat and fish. Are these the guys that you would think should become disciples of God incarnate? Do they seem qualified to you to become Jesus' followers? No. You know what that makes them? Just Jesus' type. So what about you? Are you qualified to sit in the presence of God Almighty, to receive His forgiveness and His gracious invitation, to, to become His follower? I mean, you probably don't smell like weeks of sweat and fish. <laughs> Maybe you smell like years of self-centered ambition. Maybe the scent of one terrible night years ago still wafts around your heart and mind from time to time. Maybe it's nothing bad. Maybe, you, maybe right now it's, it's just grief. You know what that makes you? Just Jesus' type. There's no catch. No loophole, fine print. Repent. Believe the good news. No purchase necessary. Come and follow the one who made you to love you, who speaks and invites. To follow Jesus is, in fact, to change the trajectory of our lives. But it is not some Pollyanna call to stop behaving one way and start behaving another. It is not the call to a pattern of life. Uh, Initially, it is a call to a person. It is the call to our Savior who says to all of us every day in the most unexpected ways, repent and believe the good news. Come and follow me. Amen.